Hello, lifers, and welcome to a very special episode of Because Life Can Be a Niche Podcast. If wherever you are watching, if you're watching on YouTube or you're listening, wherever you get your podcast, we appreciate you and thank you for coming into the living room with us. Today, I'm excited because we, uh, I get to sit down with uh, my sorority sister, a very dear friend, and a an amazing, talented a beautiful, beautiful woman who uh, has so much to share and a story to tell. Uh, She's not only my sorority sister, but also a a faith-filled sister who has taken the music industry and recording career and traveling from being involved at such a young age, uh, starting singing and performing at age three, and then going on tour, opening up for people like Justin's Child and 112, to uh, gospel recording, to now having our own production company and also appearing in films and making music and developing uh, musical and most talented and and, and outrageously talented uh, family and uh, married to the love of her life, her soulmate, who is also in the industry. It's such a beautiful story. Uh, but but I invite you here to sit with us on these three, four episodes because it is so much to tell and so much to share that it is, uh, to me, uh, definitely something that is the worth the series that we're giving it because we go and we talk about the industry and making it in the music industry to uh, living and healing through uh, chronic illness, uh, something that she uh, deals with on a regular basis, but is coming on the other side of that to also healing from uh, sexual abuse and childhood trauma and coming out on the other side of that. It is definitely a story that you need to hear and share and and just you know sit down with us in the living room and just give a moment to uh, everything that's happened in, in in her amazing life and then where she is today and with her family and all the wonderful amazing incredible things that we are about to see and and even more to come so thank you guys for joining us and I'm excited to have Beauty Munoz uh, on on the scene with me. Um, just, I, I can't wait to just for you all to hear everything uh, and, and just share in this journey with her and uh, joining us on this podcast to do so. Uh, thank you. And let's take a listen. Hello and welcome to part two of a four-part series with Beauty Munoz. Today we're talking blended families, uh, raising a family of your own, navigating that, working together in the entertainment industry as a family, and how that all works together. Uh, It is an interesting and fun story. You want to stick around for this. This is some real good stuff. And and oh, and nineteen years later, three oh. kids later, and a dog, <laughs> and a grandbaby. Yeah, we we are we are still going strong. So yes, Lord. Oh my! <laughs> won't goodness. he do it? He won't. 
mean, even even when we're being suspicious and paranoid, and oh God, you know, that you came from the man, you demand that you That is so. That is so beautiful. So, so how when how long did you guys date before you got married? I mean, because you knew early. We knew early, but for the sake of our family, we put things off, you know, we mm-hmm. wanted to get married that year. I think that was 2001 when we finally mm-hmm. connected, but we got married in August of 2002. And it, it just gave our families a chance to get to know us, you know, and mm-hmm. his family was in Boston. So it wasn't as imperative because they were not, you know, close enough to drive to. But my family being, you know, from the country and just doing things a certain way and very, you know, traditional, they wanted to meet him. They wanted to get to know him. They wanted to know his people. And I'm like, you're not going to know these people. They're from Boston. Like, you're not, you're not, <laughs> there's no way we're related. You know, we're not cousins or anything like that. So it, it, it was, it was a, a time of get to know you for him. And I think it, it, you know, put a little bit of pressure and put him under a little bit of scrutiny for uh, that, you know, year or so. But at the end of the day, it gave me a little bit of peace because I wanted them to be comfortable, but I was going to marry him regardless. You know, I was going to give them a chance to get to know him, but that's, that's my man. We get married. Y'all deal with it. I'm going to stick beside him. I'm going to stick beside him. That's my man. Him right there. That's him. Mm-hmm, that's him. <laughs> when you guys got married, and and you, you mentioned that uh, you gained you gained a son from him, yeah. and then you had your daughters, mm-hmm. and so what was happening with family and career? Because are you at that point? Are you guys doing things together, the two of you? How how did that all get sorted out? as a mom and wife and a grueling industry is very demanding. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, that is really an excellent question. I had started to do the gospel thing. So that made it a lot easier for the kids to come with. If I'm going to a church, of course they come with. If I'm going to a community event, if I'm singing it, uh, you know, some political event, which I actually did a, a good bit of that too. Um, you know, that was just a wonderful time because I was guaranteed to get paid. <laughs> Not <laughs> so I, no, no, but I, I linked up with the Democratic Party of Georgia. There was actually a soror that worked very, very closely with the Georgia Democratic Party. So that actually gave me like a whole like two or three years of steady gigs from different caucuses to different meetings and, and um, political events. And that was wonderful. Um, but those types of things, I could always take the girls to. Um, and, and my son, we really learned how to be a blended family. It was a learning process before the girls came. And as they were introduced into the world and into our family that began as three, then four, then five. Um, but it, it was a lot of give and take. It was a lot of learning. I didn't know anything about being a mom. I I didn't know anything about being a parent. I didn't know how to balance a career and children. I I didn't know how to do that. So it was very experimental and it was not without 
consequences because sometimes I didn't always always make the right choices. Sometimes I didn't always make good parenting decisions either. So we relied very heavily on counseling and therapy and training on how to be a good, like, you know, solid, successful, blended family, because you hear so many stories about um, stepchildren who feel unloved or, you know, just a situation that's not healthy or, or ideal. And I didn't want that because I, I'm a stepdaughter, but mm-hmm. I had a very different situation. My, my husband is also a stepson. And those were words that we never used. I said, I'm not going to, that is not my stepson. That is my son. And, mm-hmm. and I would like dare anybody to say that's my stepson. I'm like, don't, we don't say that. We, we don't do that here. That is my son. Now mm-hmm. I don't, put that on him to make him call me mom or anything like that, that comes at his, that came at his own um, choice whenever he felt comfortable, because I would never and did, never did I try to take the place of his mom. I would always say I'm his second mom, you know, so he's blessed with two moms and now he's blessed with two dads (laughs) because, you know, she's remarried, wonderful person, both of them, they have a wonderful, beautiful family. And not only does he have uh, two sisters on this side, but he has a brother and sister on the other side. So he can't get away. He's just right. always, you know, going to be inundated <laughs> with, with little children around him, now teenagers, and mm-hmm. uh, bonus parents. So mm-hmm. it, it has turned out wonderfully, but it was a lot of work. It, it, was, it was some mm-hmm. pain. It was a lot of tears. It was a lot of adjustment. Um, and I think a lot of it is just normal teenage boy stuff, normal teenage girl stuff. When they hit a certain age, this is how teenagers respond. I think it has less to do with me being his second mom and more to do with this is teenage boy activity. (laughs) You know, this is teenage boy behavior and this is my response. I've always been a disciplinarian. I've always been... uh, you're going to need to be respectful. You're going <laughs> you're gonna to need to uh, not come out your neck at me. You're going to need to, you know, <laughs> do what you're supposed to do. It's mm-hmm. a team around here and we all have roles to play. So I was always about structure and when it comes to the hierarchy in the home and, mm-hmm. and how everybody plays their role. So outside looking in, people may think that I was just being tough, but I'm the same mom. I'm the same mom with him that I am with the girls, I, you know, across the board, I, I keep it the same. If I'm going to be tough, that's just me. I'm going to love you. I'm going <laughs> to hug you. I'm going to kiss you. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you anything you think you want, as long as it's in my, you know, capacity to do so. But we're we going to have some tough love moments too. So. Right. <laughs> I imagine too, because you shared with being blended that you guys relied on counseling Mm-hmm. Um, was it tough on the marriage as well as adjusting to being parents too? Because how old was your son when you guys actually officially married? 11, 11. He was well into approaching preteen age. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So you inherited and, a whole lot of little teen hormones right off the bat. <laughs> mm, yes. The tween years. Yes. Yeah. The tween years. But he actually came down here to live at age 10. 
So that's like weeks, like a week or a month or something after Silos and I like started dating. So we were, you know, in this, we're in love phase. And then I find out his son is coming to live, not visit, but live. So it was an adjustment. I had to recalibrate my mind to understand this is not going to be a situation where I'm a second mom and the son is like in Boston living with his mom that we don't have really like a life together. This is real different. Mm -hmm. So I, I had to, not that I second guessed or anything like that. It was just like, okay, I got to look at this differently because I'm about to be somebody's mama. This is not actually what I thought it was going to be, but mm -hmm. all right, Lord, like how we, <laughs> how are we going to do this? <laughs> so, and when, and, and, you know, in turn, when he came, he, he thought he was coming to hang out with his dad, spend time with his dad. He knew he was coming to live here, but he mm -hmm. didn't know about me. But, you know, he was excited at first. We were both excited at first, right. but then reality sits in mm -hmm. and you realize this is a whole nother component that you're going to have to work into your life now. Like he ain't going nowhere. I ain't going nowhere. We getting ready for this wedding. <laughs> you know, yeah. not only do my does my family have to get to know my husband to be, but they also have to get ready to welcome a grandson as well. So there was a lot of relationship building that had to take place. So we we really did feel that it was prudent to get counseling, to get some support from outside looking in, someone who specializes in family um, success. And that's what we did. That's exactly what we did. And sometimes um, our son would go on his own. Sometimes we'd go as a family, um, but it was the same therapist. And we were able to just kind of, you know, work through some of the issues that we would have at home. Like we did go through the, you not my mama phase. We went through that. We went through, <laughs> you know, a, a lot of different phases. And, and also with my husband, um, we had to dual parent now, and that was new for him. That's right. Well, new when it came to me. He, right. he knew how to dual parent with our son's biological mom. But again, they're in two different states, so it's different. It's like he has them for one summer, then they trade off. She'll have them the next summer. You know, mm -hmm. so it wasn't like you're in the same house living with somebody, and you got to figure out how are we going to parent, right. co-parent. How are these decisions going to be made? Does he always just come to dad and whatever dad says goes? Or does he now have to come to me and ask me? And, you know, so it was a while, years, years of learning how to balance that. And I would, you know, get upset because I didn't feel like I was included in the parenting. And I'm like, like, I'm his mom too. Like, why? don't I get a say in mm -hmm. what's happening? And it did cause some issues. It, it did cause some strife in the marriage. It did prove to be taxing at times. Mm -hmm. But like I'm saying, with the support of not only therapy, but the Holy Spirit, because we're born again believers. So mm -hmm. with everything we do, the word is the final authority. And when we go to the word and the word says, 
what it says about parenting, about children, mm-hmm. about respect, about husband and wife relationships, that is our final authority. So whether I'm in my feelings or whether my husband would be in his feelings or whatever, the, the word of God squashes all of that. And okay. then we have to line up, you know, we, we just have to line up with what God, God says, just get your emotions in check because your emotions mm-hmm. are not true. That's, that's exactly not true. Right. That, 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 we, we have come to coin the phrase, oh, my truth. Okay. Mm-hmm. But what does the word say? Right. And, <laughs> and them, you know, them feelings are fickle. Those feelings don't mean anything unless you can, yes. you know, that's support right. it with the word of God. So that's mm-hmm. where we ended up with many arguments were squashed <laughs> by what does the word say? <laughs> How was that with um, with with your son's mom? How how did you guys blend? Was it very easy uh, from the beginning, or was that did that take some work over the years as well? Well, I'll say this: we have not had issues, and mm-hmm. I believe that is because we. We have a mutual respect for what it is to raise a son. Mm -hmm. And it's not always, like I said earlier, it's not always the step parent or stepchild component that is the actual real issue. It's it's really not. It's it's just what is this child going through at this season in his life? Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons that he came here as a 10-year-old in the first place was because he was starting to, you know, how kids grow up, especially boys. And at that time, she was a single mom. Mm-hmm. And they start, we call it smelling themselves. And yeah. they start, you know, coming out their neck and stuff. And they, they start getting a little hype on themselves. Yeah. And they start, mm-hmm. you know, trying to book and try. And she's like, no, nah, we're not having that. You need to be around your daddy. You need, to, <laughs> you need to go be with your daddy. And that was a blessing not, I mean, of course she misses him. Of course, you know, we worked out arrangements so that he would have, you know, he'd spend one Christmas with her, spend a Christmas with us. We would just trade off from year to year. But we had that mutual respect because it's like, no, we, we understand that boys can be a handful. We, we understand that, especially a, a boy that he, he was, he always wanted his parents to be together. He didn't want them to not be together, but they had not been together since he was probably two so their relationship had severed for a long time. But here he is, there were, you know, eight years of his life at that point, still with hope that yes. hopefully, maybe they can still get together. But then what does his dad go into? He go and marry somebody. <laughs> so that was a lot of, you know, what we were dealing with on the spiritual level. On the spiritual level, it was, I really don't want him to marry her. Dang, they're married. I really don't want them to be married because I wanted my parents to be together. Dang, now they having a baby. This ain't gonna never gonna end. My friend is all falling You know, it's unraveling. And I mean, my daughter, um, our daughter Sayina, she was our first daughter together. And so at 13, he became a big brother for the first time. And then his mom had got in the process, his mom had gotten remarried and she had 
a son, like back to back, you know, and then next thing you know, three years later, here comes Simone in our marriage. We have our second baby girl together. And then they end up having a baby girl. So it was like, <laughs> it's over. Our son was like, it's, it's right. over. It's a wrap. These people keep having children. These people keep having babies. <laughs> so, and this was all while he was a teenager. It was probably, you know, from age 13 to 16 or 17 is when he got two siblings on either side. Mm-hmm. And it was still, you're, you know, you're still dealing with a young man, a young teen that still has emotions, who still is processing, um, um, you know, childhood dreams that will never be realized. And mm-hmm. someone has to understand that. And, I, and we, we did. And that was part of the reason why counseling was such an integral part of not only our marriage, but also how we raise our children. Because they can't always talk to us because we're the problem. You can't talk to yeah. You can't always talk to the person that is the problem. Right. <laughs> you know, you got to talk to an outside yes. person who is impartial, mm-hmm. who can give you sound um, wisdom and godly advice. One of the things that we always sought out was a godly counselor. We didn't just find someone who was good at their job. We always wanted them to come from a biblical um, point of reference so that we could be counseled properly. <laughs> By the word. That's right. Yes, so, yes. It's just going to reinforce what we already are practicing or should be practicing. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is so true. So now tell me about uh we talked about this before the before the podcast. Um chronic pain. Mm. And when that came into the your life because you know now you're blended, you've got babies, mm-hmm. you got uh you still have your career and then what happened? Well, I actually started to, my, my career part had, had started to kind of wane off a little bit because at that time I had the three kids and probably even, even before the three kids, I went back into the workforce like a regular job. <laughs> <laughs> when Sayina was With one. With regular people, you came, you well, came. Well, <laughs> <those non-sane> <laughs> <laughs> No, I was just, it, you know, the gospel circuit, it, it served its purpose. And I, and I thank God for it. I really do. I thank God for the relationships. I thank God for the ministry and the people who, who I, he used me to impact and me as well be impacted both by, by those ministries as well. But, um, it kind of, it, it wasn't lucrative and it, I didn't have time. I, I was a mom. I was a wife. You know, I was picking kids up from school. I'm in PTA. I'm, I'm selling cookies and stuff on fundraisers, you know, cookie dough and Christmas cookie paper. And I was, and then I my son was a, right now. <laughs> <laughs> my son was a basketball player. So he had um, his, he played AAU basketball. So he was traveling with basketball and we just, we had a full plate just being, you know, a regular a family. So there was not a lot of time that I could cut out for a, a music career. So I ended up going back into the workforce um, when Sayina turned one. 
16 years ago. <laughs> and um, it was it was commercial real estate and I enjoyed it. I was like really good at it. <laughs> I, I, I was I enjoyed it. It was what it was. It's unlike residential. It's not like that at all. Commercial is, you know, big, big, big. We talking hundreds of thousands of dollars just in rent alone for Walmart to pay a company that I worked for just so they could, you know, be in that shopping center. Mm-hmm. So I learned the business. I learned about contracts. I really cut my teeth. I was even doing paralegal work. Like I was doing a lot of things, wore many hats, you know, made some changes that they probably still have in place today. But that was how God, enge- he, he has engineered me to make any situation that I'm in he showed me how to make it better. Like I'm a problem solver. So when I go into a situation, it's not that I'm looking for things to fix. I'm just like, hmm, how can we be more efficient? Hmm, how can we do this and waste, you know, not waste paper? How can we go digital? Like these people were still like using handwritten sheets. And I'm like, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to put this in an, ex- in an Excel spreadsheet and we're going to color code this thing and I'm going to email it to all of y'all. That's what we're going to do. So... It was um, a process. Mm -hmm. So I started working this job and um, I started having some problems. Maybe, let's see, I started there in 2008, I think. Oh my, I don't remember. 2005, I started in 2005 because Kayla, uh, Kayla Sienna was one. So I started in 2005. So I had been working, going strong, you know, corporate America, you know, you're sitting at a job, you're typing. I started having some problems with my wrist, um, but it, it wasn't anything. It was just, okay, well, you get a little, you know, you get those little pads that's padded and you just rest your arm on there and you're fine. So I started having some problems with my back. Oh, they said, well, oh, just get a little stool. You know, you order these things and they're not on your dime. They're on the company dime. So I got a little like stool, um, a soft padded for my feet to rest on and then I got a back pillow all of these things I'm ordering you know through the job because they're like yeah this is going to help so-and-so down the hall got this and it really helped her back but I was increasingly you know more and more and more I was having back issues and I would even have to stand at my desk sometimes and work because I could not sit down It, it would just be so much pain and I would stand up and, you know, like my, my bosses, I uh, assisted to uh, vice presidents and they would come around. And, Are you OK? And I'm like, well, I'm here, you know, smile on my face, still, you know, typing away mm-hmm. at my computer. But it, it became a problem. So around 2010, into 2010, um, my husband was like, you got to go see what's going on. Something is really not right. Like mm-hmm. you're not moving right. You're not you're not moving with agility. Like I was, I was younger <laughs> and I was, I should not have been affected in that way. Like there would be times when I would start walking, like take off walking. I would not be able to complete my next step. I would not be able to, I would be frozen. Like my back would be constricted in a way that it would not allow me to actually move my foot forward. So I got checked out. I was starting having a lot of issues concurrently at the same time with my cycle. It was just extremely long, extremely painful. I'm talking debilitating pain where you cannot get out of the bed. 
type of pain, pain where when the girls were, they were little at that time, you know, I get home from my day job and they ain't see me all day and they just want to run and jump into my arms. <laughs> that running and jumping into my arms would nearly knock me to the floor oh, because man. their little knee might hit my stomach or their elbow or, you know, mm-hmm. just the force of their, their body coming in for a hug. It would send me reeling, reeling with pain mm-hmm. and I mean, I knew something wasn't right. Like my, my abdomen area, it is not supposed to feel like this. And if they just, you know, if you're sitting on the couch and you know how little kids are, they'll just, just flop on, just hop on your lap or just sit down. Girl, that, that simple action right there, like my eyes were water. I would be like, oh my gosh, mommy can't, you can't sit on mommy like that. You can't, you can't hop in mommy's lap like that. So they had started to handle me like paper, like I was going to break. Like I had said it so much that they would be like, oh, mommy, we don't want to hurt your tummy. Oh, mommy. You know, they would come in for a hug and then they would rethink it and they'd be like, oh, mommy, is it okay to hug you? And I'm like, gosh, this is breaking my heart because they can't even not only is my way of life being affected, but theirs is being affected too, because they see that something simple as a hug is causing mommy pain. And that just shouldn't be so. So in 2010, CeeLo urged me to go to the doctor. He kept telling me, and then finally he made the appointment. He said, you going, you got an appointment on Thursday at one o'clock and you're going. (laughs) 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 Whatever time it was. (laughs) and he went with me to the appointment and it was basically I think it was like an OB appointment and they you know did an ultrasound and she was like oh well you know I I can't tell you exactly what's going on but it kind of looks like you may have like fibroids or something you know I was like oh Mm -hmm. okay so she sent me to another specialist she was a nurse practitioner so she sent me to another specialist maybe about a month or so later and they said it could be endometriosis. They said it could be gastro. Uh, in, I need to see a gastroenterologist. So I went there. So basically, let me just wrap it up. I went to 15 doctors over the course of 2010 oh, to 2014 until I actually found a doctor who was able to diagnose me. So four years, 15 doctors, doctor number 16, doctor number 17, and doctor number 18. Those were the ones who actually helped me, who, who oh actually did something, uh, diagnose my condition, treat my condition, mm. and support me while I was going through. So basically, I had endometriosis, very, very um, rampant. And it, it, it caused things like back pain. However, I had chronic back pain on my own, um, not, not, not even associated with endometriosis or fibroids or ovarian cysts, which were the things that were basically plaguing my body and controlling my quality of life. It was mm-hmm. drastically like, it, it, it just, it just ate away at who I was. Like, I, I couldn't even, I couldn't even be me. Like, It took so much of my joy, you know, Mm -hmm. and not to mention the not knowing. 
So for those four years where I went to all of those other doctors, people, doctors sometimes can be uh, insensitive. And I had one doctor tell me, oh, you're depressed. You're making this up. Um, you don't really, this, this is not real. Like you don't, you don't have like endometriosis. You don't have um, headaches. You don't have, um, this is just, this is a, a symptom of your depression. And I, you know, looking back, I was depressed. I, I was because I didn't know what was wrong with me. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, they, they put me on some uh, depression medication, but that wasn't my issue. That was an issue that came from this chronic pain and this chronic illness because I was so beat down by not knowing what was wrong with me. Like mm-hmm. imagine knowing that something ain't working right, but you, you don't have the tools to fix it. And the people that have the tools to fix it are telling you that nothing's wrong, that you're not broken down, yes. that you're running just fine. And mm-hmm. I'm like, no, you don't, you don't get it. Like I can't even sleep. I, I had, in, I still suffer with insomnia because the pain is so unrelenting. It never stops. It never goes away. It is always there so Mm -hmm. since 2010 and it is now 2021 it is still there Mm -hmm. and although it mitigated at times and it was just trying to learn what was wrong with me I'm like can can anybody just tell me what's wrong can you just tell me what's wrong then then I'll be all right Yes, when you're, and we're seeing that more now that the conversation finally is being had about um, African American women who, mm-hmm. in the when we go to the doctors and we say we're in pain, and and it's some it's sometimes dismissed as mm-hmm. like you said, oh that's in your mind, or you're not really, or that's not really happening. And then for you, 15 doctors later, and then finally 16, 17, and 18 say, mm-hmm. oh, here it is. Here's endometriosis. Here's this and that. But look, that time, four years mm-hmm. of not having any solution or resolution because of that. And I, I do believe that this is a, an important part of your story is for mm-hmm. other women First of all, to keep going and keep insisting and keep pressing because you know your body. Nobody mm-hmm. can tell you you're not in pain. It's just insane mm-hmm. to hear it, but it happens so often, even today, and mm-hmm. it's still happening. Um, so I think this part of your story will encourage anybody listening, anybody watching, don't let anybody tell you what's not wrong with you about mm-hmm. your body because you know exactly what you feel in your body and in your and you mind. know when it's not right you know yeah. when something's not right you can tell even if you're not you know a spiritual person or not in tune with spiritual things mm-hmm. physically you right. know when something's not right mm-hmm. so throughout that process it it was just it was so um life hindering that I I could no longer 
even focus on a corporate job. I, I could not even focus on trying to <laughs> trying to come into work. But I would literally be at my desk in so much pain that I would be doubled over laying on my desk. Mm-hmm. And my boss would come around and see me laying down. And I'd be like, I'm, I'm just having a moment out. I'll, you know, I'm just having a moment. I just needed five minutes or whatever. But they saw, they, they saw that I was going down, 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 down. Mm-hmm. I was not that bright, perky, fun, happy-go-lucky person that they hired. I was not her anymore. That pain took a toll. And the not knowing took a toll. So eventually, I wasn't in corporate America anymore. And if you had looked at my calendar, what you would see <laughs> would be a whole slew of doctor's appointments for the whole month from oh. gastroenterologists to physical therapists to uh, different OBGYNs. You would just see a whole bunch of doctor's appointments to the point I just I just got tired of going to doctor's appointments because no one had answers but mm-hmm. I, I I I couldn't I couldn't live without knowing what was wrong with me mm-hmm. and nights were the worst because you know you can you can fight through um I, I say anybody if I'm busy I, I'm going to just keep going. You know, if I'm busy, even if I have a headache, if I have back pain, if I have, I have sciatica as well, but whatever is going on physically with me, as long as I'm busy, it's like I can mute it. I can put it on mute and I can continue to work and focus on whatever I need to focus on. But once I lay down in those nighttime hours and everything slowed down and everything's quiet, man, that pain is so loud. Mm. That pain is so loud. It's, when I tell you the sleep deprivation, the insomnia, um, one of the conditions that I was diagnosed with is a bladder issue. And mm-hmm. so I was constantly and still constantly am going to the restroom all throughout the night. Um, one, of, one of my doctors had me keep a log of how much I went to the restroom from the time I laid my head down to the time in the morning. It was something crazy like every 20 minutes I was and I wasn't asleep so mind you it wasn't like oh you go to sleep for 20 minutes and you wake up oh I gotta go use the bathroom no I never went to sleep so I would finally fall asleep maybe around five o'clock in the morning and by that time it's, it's almost time for me to get the girls up and get them started to school so it was like one big rat race of pain insomnia pain not knowing it was exhausting it was exhaustion, frustration, depression, sadness, anger. Um, it was so bad. You know, I'm glad I'm through it, but because it was, it didn't seem like it was ever going to stop. Right. It didn't seem like it was ever going to stop. Right. That's all right. Take your time. Take your, because someone out there may be going through the exact same thing. So take your time and, and, and share your story. And even though at that point, you know, 2014, I, me, I found out what the conditions were. So okay. great. Now I can have a plan of attack with my three doctors <laughs> that are finally <laughs> on, my, on my team. Right. And they told me, you know, 
Our, our job is to get your, get your quality of life back. That's our job, is to get you back to some semblance of a normal for you. Now realize these are chronic illnesses. Of course, when you have chronic illness and you have Jesus, I'm going with Jesus. Now they tell me, oh, chronic back pain, that's for life. Oh, endometriosis, endometriosis, that's for life. Oh, is, is interstitial cystitis, this bladder pain syndrome, that's for life. There's no cure for any of these things. Mm. So I hear what you're saying, Doc. <laughs> I hear what you're saying, but God, but mm. Jesus. So I always have him in the forefront of my healing. I always have in the forefront of, you know, maintaining um, my quality of life. So, you know, back in 2014, I was still of that same mindset. And I would even correct the doctor when he would say, or she, I had multiple, but when they would say, you know, well, this is, we can't cure this. Now we can treat it, but we can't cure it. That's all right. I know right. somebody who can cure it. That's okay. Mm -hmm. That's y'all right. do what y'all can do. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray. I'm going to fast. <laughs> I'm going to increase my faith. You know, so I will do what I need to do in the natural and I'll do what I need to handle in the spirit as well. Mm -hmm. So bring it up to 2014 and this bladder issue. Basically, I have a very small bladder and compared to other people. So not only does my bladder fill up quicker, but it also gets very irritated from different things that I eat. I didn't know that. I thought when you eat something, it just, you know, I don't know. I wasn't a biology major, but I was like, if you eat something, that it affects the stomach. You drink something, it affects the bladder, but that's not how it works. Whatever you eat also affects, you know, it affects all systems of, of the human body. Um, and my bladder was no exception. So when I would eat tomatoes, which I love, when I would eat an orange or an apple or a pineapple, things that were very acidic or hot stuff, which I've never been a hot fan, but if I would have you know, something that was spicy, all of those things would affect my bladder and, and it would cause me to go into what we call a flare. So when you have a flare, a flare can take you out. It, 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 it is the equivalent of force, like your body forcing you to participate in bed rest and you don't want to, but oh. your body says, I'm not going to do anything for you. And you're like, no, come on, body. We got to get up. We got to get the kids to school. We, come on, body. We got to go drive, get in this carpool line. And the body's like, no, you wait. I don't know you. you go, I don't listen to you. I'm the boss. Hey, so, even, so food that you were eating, because I don't, I didn't know that either. I, I guess when you think about it, the, your food is your fuel for your entire body, but you don't think about it affecting, because we always think of the bladder in terms of liquids. Right. So and that is so far off base. Oh, and man. I had to like educate myself about this bladder pain syndrome also known as interstitial cystitis. I had to, I, I just, you know, ate up everything I could. I read articles, I read blogs, I followed people um, on Instagram and Facebook. I joined groups on Facebook and Instagram, support groups, because it's like, gosh, I'm not, 
I'm first of all, I'm not crazy because many of those doctors tried to tell me I was crazy. Right. And that I was making it up. So Mm -hmm. I had to find other people. I had to find my people who were going through the same thing I was going through. And I did. And when I tell you, girl, what, what I was going through was the tip of the iceberg. And, and I, I thought, I thought my pain was unbearable, but we talking about people who actually have had to have their bladder removed and now are living with a colostomy bag um, forever. Mm-hmm. Like they, they have to have this bag attached to them under their clothing, empty mm-hmm. it. This is forever. Cause wow. their bladder don't, it doesn't function. At least mine function. Right. And I would have to get surgery every six months. They would go in, they would um, enlarge my bladder, like blow it up like with, with this balloon and they would put medicine inside of it. And mm-hmm. that medicine would coat the inside of my uh, bladder lining so that when I did eat things, not that I could eat things I shouldn't, I still shouldn't eat those things that I wouldn't. But if there were, were to be anything, it would not affect me as much and it wouldn't send me into a flare as often. So I learned how to manage it, but it was like every six months I got to go have surgery. Every six months I got to have surgery. And I did this for, for basically four, four to five years. I did that from mm-hmm. 2014 all the way up to 2019. So it, that was a lot of surgery. That's a lot <laughs> of You know, and, but that was minimal compared to what some of the other people in my IC group um, had experience and what they continue to experience. Mm-hmm. So I have chosen to keep those people involved in my life. Not, not like, um, I don't want to have a reminder of an issue that I'm, I'm coming out of it. You know, I'm still, mm-hmm. I'm still somewhat affected, but I, I have gotten to a point where I can manage my, my IC where my flares are so minimal. Like, I don't have them as often, but I know my triggers now. I know my food triggers and I know my life triggers. So like this week I went biking for two days. Why? Because I want to be healthy, because I like biking, because I want to exercise. I need to exercise, but the things that I need to do and the things that I, that I choose to do sometimes affect my health in a negative way. And that's what I had to learn when I was educating myself and getting in, you know, some of these support groups is that Mm -hmm. the very thing that the doctor says you, you need, if you cross that line of doing it in excess, then you're going to cause a flare. If you don't exercise enough, then you're going to be lethargic and you're not going to have the energy you need. So it's it's always a trade-off and you just don't know what side of the coin you're going to come out on. But you know, I, I have chosen to, I made that choice back then. I'm not going to let this thing control me. Like it has taken so much of my life and my time with my girls. I can't never get that back. My time with my son, like he, you know, grew up and moved out and got in his, his apartment. And, you know, it's like, <laughs> I, I feel robbed. I, I feel mm-hmm. robbed of those years that I was sick and mm-hmm. didn't know why. And girl, I was in bed so much of their lives. I was not outside playing. I was in the bed Mm -hmm. because I couldn't get out because I was 
debilitated. I, it was mm-hmm. beyond my control. My mind would say, uh, get on up and, and just, just sit on the front porch. I'd go and try mm-hmm. to sit on the front porch and I'd be somewhere like laid over because even that was too much, mm-hmm. you know? So glory be to God. He has given me some ways to maintain mm-hmm. and in treatment with the endometriosis, the fibroids, the ovarian cysts, um, my OB, she tried my GYN. She tried many things. We, we tried mm-hmm. depo shots. We tried birth control pills. We tried um, this one thing called Lupron that essentially took me to menopause, put me in straight menopause, and it mm-hmm. took away my cycle for like months at a time, which it, it, it helped, but there are side effects. You, you can't like stay on that medication long because it'll ca- start causing all kind of other problems within your body. So I had reached the, 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 the threshold of how long I could be on that medication. So I had to come off of it. So that minimal relief of that, however, six months, nine months, or however many months it was, I, I did have some minimal relief. What that did tell us is though, if you don't have a cycle each month, your quality of life improves. It, it's not perfect, but it does improve. Mm-hmm. So we took that information and tried some more things. And then finally, she was like, you know, I got nothing else. And this is a sister. I trusted mm-hmm. her completely. I still trust her completely. I would recommend her to anyone. Yeah. And she was like, what do you want to do? Like, are you and Philo's going to, you know, have any more kids? Are you thinking of doing anything else? Because, mm-hmm. you know, if, if, if someone else had recommended a hysterectomy, I would have looked at them, you know, right. kind of sideways. That's right. You know, yeah. because that's what a lot of doctors do. They just mm-hmm. want to go ahead and give a black woman a, hy- a hysterectomy that's right. um, without trying other things. But we had walked down this road together. We, we had mm-hmm. gone through this healing and treatment journey together. And when she told me she didn't have any more things, you know, options in her back pocket. That's right. I knew it was, I knew it was time to really, con- really consider it. Talk mm-hmm. with CeeLo. He's like, I just don't want to see you in pain no more. I can't stand it. You know, we've been living with this for how many years? And mm-hmm. I, I want to see you get some relief and get back to yourself. Cause I, I just wasn't me. I wasn't me. <laughs> And so in 2017, I had the hysterectomy and uh, with high hope that it would relieve me of all my ills. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, you know, the which a lot of folks are like, I don't miss my period <laughs> at all. <laughs> right. That, that part I am glad to be free from. But, okay. you know, endometriosis in some women is very invasive. So removing the uterus doesn't always fix all of the issues. And unfortunately, I was one of the people who fell into that category. So I am better, Mm -hmm. but I still suffer with endometriosis because it's Mm -hmm. not only in, it was not only in my uterus, but those endometrial cells can grow on your fallopian tubes, they can grow on your ovaries, they can grow anywhere they want. And you can have the surgery, you can go in and they can scrape it off, they can remove it, but it can always grow back 
So once I had my hysterectomy, I said, I'm not going to go into no more surgery. I'm not doing that anymore. Now, I did have some more for my bladder, but that invasive, you know, that was hard to recover from. Now, mm -hmm. I had two cesarean C-sections uh, with my girls, and that was hard to recover from. And then mm -hmm. having the hysterectomy is like, I don't want y'all cutting me open anymore. That's, that's enough. I, I don't want to do this because the recovery time is so long and it's painful. The, it, it's <laughs> equally as painful as what I was trying to escape from. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. I still suffer with endo. Not as, it's not as pervasive, but I still suffer. Okay. The back pain, that's there, you know. I have degenerative, uh, what do you call it? Um, disc, um, disc, yes, disc, um, yeah, you know what I'm saying. It's the LRLLLL5 and L4 lumbar, and um, gosh, he is really acting up up there. <laughs> oh, don't worry about fur, baby. Okay. He's, like, don't forget, he's, he's telling you, don't, don't forget about. Right, right. Don't forget that part about how cute I am. <laughs> but herniated discs, herniated discs and something else, mm -hmm. um, that degenerative disc and stuff. Yes, now, was that, from, was that from childhood? Is that genetic or was there an accident? How did, how did that happen with your, um, your spine? Part of it is has to do with the job I work, okay. being in a seated position, um, having that pressure that sits, like I'm sitting now. Mm -hmm. I'm sitting here and that weight is compressed down and the weight of it is sitting on my, uh, on my lumbar. Um, and that part of my spine has just weakened over time. And I've, I've always been very active. So one of my doctors thought that it may have been, well, my physical therapist thought that it may have also been, you know, I was always dancing in high school. I was on drill team. So from age, I guess from seventh grade all the way up, I've been in some form of dance, whether it's drill team, whether it's step team in college, whether it's, you know, dancing with promotion in college, whether it's, um, I've always been like active. So exercise, running, and even that, that um, impact that you're putting on your feet when you run and that impact that you're putting on your spine when you run. I love to run. Those are active things that I think have contributed to the back pain. But I also had back pain started in 2010. In 2017, I got rear-ended in a car accident. That just added fuel to the fire. Yeah. And... Mm -hmm. Last year in 2020, not even a whole year, um, me and Silos were in a very major car accident where we like mm -hmm. almost didn't didn't leave that scene. It was it could have been so life ending. We got clipped on the front of our car on the wheel, my passenger side, and it sent our car into the median on 285. So we crashed into oh, the median, and when I tell you the angels were strictly encamped around us. You know, I always declare that scripture, our lives are redeemed from destruction. 
angels and camp around us. I'm, I'm declaring that every day throughout the day. So when we walked away with no broken bones, mm. with, with, with no um, nothing detached, everything was attached the way yes. it was supposed to be. Wow. Now, now we, we had issues and we are still recovering from, from the impact of that accident. Mm-hmm. But our head is still attached. We got all our fingers, all our toes. I have this scar on my neck. But mm-hmm. other than that, God saved our lives. There are people who crash into concrete walls and do not walk away from it. No, ma'am, they do not. That's you right. know, all of the airbags deployed. Thank God the airbags deployed. Mm-hmm. But part of that came with our injuries too. But it, it inflicted some injuries when those airbags deployed. I think that's mm-hmm. that's where this um, scar came from, was from the airbag. But thank mm-hmm. God, because it saved our lives. But even with that, it contributed to the already existing back pain. It contributed mm-hmm. to the already existing sciatica that I have in, in my hip and my leg going all the way down. So, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd be like, Lord, now, can I have a word? Now, you know I'm already dealing with all this other stuff, right? So why? Just why? Why are we going to be adding more stuff to it for you right. to heal me from? Like, can I just <laughs> receive all the healing at once? <laughs> but, honey, that's a purpose for the pain. So yes. that's... You know, where I sit kind of now with the chronic illness and the chronic pain issue, yes, it's still an issue. Do I let it ruin my life? No. Mm -hmm. Do I let it run my life? No. Mm -hmm. Many days I am hindered, but Mm -hmm. I will never be stopped. It ain't never going to stop me. That's right. <laughs> That's exactly right. There, there is purpose in it. You have um, you talked about too uh, controlling it with with what you put in your body, and and that led or did it lead with your bladder and everything else with just being stronger. Did that lead to your vegan journey? Tell tell us what what got you on the vegan road because you know country girls like to eat. <laughs> We like to cook meat. We like to smoke real. We like to fry okay. meat. So now, <laughs> how did we go be? <laughs> well, I I will tell you this. I I think what started it, as I messed around and watched the documentary on Netflix. Mm. <laughs> And I was like, well, well, let me let me back up a little bit with IC and being diagnosed in 2014 with the um, bladder pain syndrome, interstitial status with all of that. I had already like scaled back my intake a lot, but I didn't I didn't cut out meat like I didn't think certain meats were an issue. I just thought the way that I seasoned the meat was the issue. So I couldn't use a lot of spices. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't use a lot of um, things that were going to irritate um, my bladder or my stomach lining. So I did scale down a lot. And a lot of things I love, like corn on the cob and just things that have naturally have allergens in them, um, like wheat. I, I 
started buying a lot of things that were uh, gluten-free and, um, you know, soy-free and things like that back when I was trying to control my IC. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like a far stretch to go vegan. But when I saw this particular documentary and they were, it was Dr. Sabi, and mm -hmm. I was watching some stuff on YouTube and I just couldn't get enough because I, I love learning. So I'm like, now this is going to benefit me. I, I need to look into this because I had heard about keto and paleo and all this stuff. And I was like, I, I don't, I don't really know if that's going to work for me. But this vegan thing, like, and then when I was doing my investigating, I saw the videos and the documentaries. I saw Cowspiracy of how the um, poor little baby cows are treated and how the pigs are treated and the, mm. the um, chickens and the farms and how they, it's graphic, mm. but I needed to see it. I needed to see it because I, I now have a pet and he is my baby. And mm. I know when he's in pain. His name is Milo. Can you hear me talking about your boo? But um, <laughs> like, yes, I do. <laughs> but when I when I tell you that he he knows how to seek comfort, he knows how to um, give affection. I can I can tell when he's scared when there's fireworks or loud noises. I can tell I can tell when he's playful. Yes, he's an animal, but I know he has feelings. And when I watched that documentary and more documentaries, I, I just, I kept watching them because I, I wanted to shock myself into action. And I did. <laughs> I could, I'm like, I can't, I, I can't, I can't eat that. I can't. Mm -hmm. Basically, you're eating death. You're eating trauma. You're, you're eating. Mm -hmm. um, this was not a good death. This was not. Can there, is there such a thing as a good death? Like mm -hmm. all that they have to go through to get to my plate. Mm. Mm -mm. I okay. can't, I can't. It, it, mm -hmm. it like turns my stomach. And do I still like the taste? Yeah, like, yeah, ribs are good. Yeah, they do taste good. Like <laughs> it's a price that I can't, I don't want to pay that. You, mm -hmm. Somebody else can pay it, but I don't, I don't want to because mm -hmm. I've seen it, like I, I've saw, um, and you can't unsee it once you. I was about to say you, once you see it and hear yeah. it, then mm -hmm. that's it. So y'all listening and watching now. If y'all still eat meat, don't go watch <laughs> Cowspiracy. Watch it on Netflix. Watch. <laughs> y'all might not be eating steak tomorrow. You might give it up. Um, but, but maybe yeah. that's what you needed was for your it sister. Was, it was, it was, that was, that was the initial, like, I wasn't even thinking this is going to help me, uh, with my health issues. Mm -hmm. I was thinking like, I shouldn't be eating this <laughs> anyway. And <laughs> it can only help it. Like it can, mm -hmm. th this can only be a benefit. So once I started the vegan journey, you know, and implemented it within our household and started buying things that were vegan. You know, some of that stuff was nasty, but some of it was good. I find that when I personally stick to whole foods, things that I can prepare, you know, we, we go through a lot of, you know, fresh fruits and vegetables and things that I just prepare myself. Girl, mm -hmm. I was even making vegan cheese. Now, you I got quite good at it too. 
Yes. <laughs> I learned how to make my right own cheese. Yes, I'm going to have to have some now. <laughs> <laughs> well, some of it that you buy, it took mm. me a while to find like a shredded cheese or a sliced cheese that is actually good. And I found one. Whew, it's so good. <laughs> I found one. Um, and so I don't make the cheese as often, but when I did make it, it's more of like a cheese sauce. It's more like a dip that you would use like with a tortilla chips and, you know, some good uh, vegan ground beef or something, but not ground beef, but you know, vegan. Um, So it's something that you would use with that. But I found as, as I went and as I started cooking the whole foods and as I started preparing um, more foods that I didn't have to cook and just raw foods, like I started feeling better and, and I dropped weight like you wouldn't believe. I didn't even try. And I dropped like 20 pounds the first um, two or three months that I was vegan. And I wasn't even trying. So I'm like, the benefits definitely outweigh the sacrifice. The sacrifice is not eating meat that's mm-hmm. been traumatized and killed and horrified before it met its end mm-hmm. or just eat vegetables and right. you know grains are good anyway. I can, I can, yes I'm, yeah. I'm a big veggie person too but let me tell you what happened the wonderful thing that happened was that I started to feel better mm-hmm. I started to feel lighter like I could Sleep. Oh my gosh. Mm, that is funny. You. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I could sleep. I could rest. I could straight up go off into a good nap and I'll be asleep till in the morning. So <laughs> the benefits, I just, in, I just, I felt better and it, it, there was a huge difference. And then I realized this could have been the key all along, like to mm-hmm. just, living a whole food type of life where it in a good way infects the rest of your life in a good way like my quality of life has increased exponentially I am not completely you know without having a flare every now and then I'm not completely without back pain you know I'm I'm in pain right now but I'm not to a point where I have to be bedridden. I'm not to a point where I have, now I do have those days, but I'm thinking that I kind of got a balance now and I'm kind of getting back to me. I'm learning who I am at this point. I'm learning who I am as a vegan. I'm learning who I am as a person, as a, as a recording artist, as an actress, a person who's getting back to me. Like this is a new me. I don't know her. I'm, I'm getting to know her. Right. Right. I, I, don't, I don't know this beauty. This beauty mm-hmm. is new. She is evolving. She is emerging. Even as mm-hmm. we speak, she is, you know, forever in that butterfly state. I'm, 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 you know, coming out of this cocoon That's one cool. more time. That's right. <laughs> ever, ever changing, always evolving because that's mm-hmm. what life is. That's who God is. God is mm-hmm. always just giving us so much evolution. So mm-hmm. now, so how's the family on the vegan front? Everybody eating? <laughs> well, what had happened was we started out together. Yes. And yes. our, uh, no, I, I kind of, hubby, he's been with it all along. He, he mm-hmm. actually gave me a book um, 
quite some time ago. I, I, I think the name of it is something to the effect of why Christians get sick. And mm. I, I read it cover to cover. And um, I think the author, I can't remember the exact author's name, but, but anyway, I read the book with him. Like we sat there one afternoon, he read a page, I read a page and we got, he was like, beauty, I want you to read this. You know, <laughs> this is really gonna help you. This is years ago. Um, Cause he, he has always said that diet contributed to my illness. He's always said that. Mm-hmm. And um, I'll be like, I don't even really be eating nothing that bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but he, he's but always said it. Do. Yeah, what you do it does enough damage for years in your system. It doesn't matter how mm-hmm. often you eat it, it's still in there just going ham. Turning, <laughs> literally uh, going ham. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So he was not hard to convince at all. He was like, I'm on board with whatever we need to do. Let's buy whatever we need to buy. So we'll have it here in the house and we're not, you know, we're we're scrounging looking for a pack of cookies when no, you, you got some grapes, you got some um, clementines, you got some apples, you got some cherries, you got some ooh, watermelon, you got, you know, you got a lot. If you want something sweet, if you want something mm-hmm. salty, we got some um, cashews, we got some pistachios, we got mm-hmm. Brazil nuts, <laughs> we got pecans, pecans, we got right. it all. That's so right. we developed a way to shop so that I do my nice little list and we uh, introduce it to girls. Now, they did not, hmm, hmm, let's see. My youngest was, was more uh, work to convince, and mm-hmm. I needed to give her more choices. And mm-hmm. I found out along the way that, you know, when you learn, you just find out different things that you can offer them that are vegan. At the beginning, I didn't know a lot. So our, our choices were very limited, and our palate was like, Right. No, you know, so it was a lot of trial and error. So I think if mm-hmm. I had known more in the beginning, I may have been able to help them embrace it more. But because what I presented to them was not very tasty in the beginning, <laughs> it was a harder sell. Yeah. But, you know, where we are with it today is that most days, well, I can't say most days, some days we are completely vegan as a household. Mm-hmm. We won't do any meat, or if we do meat, it will be some type of vegan meat. Um, they have so many options now. Um, yes, they do. So, you know, they, there's vegan fish fillets. There's yeah. vegan, um, there's vegan everything you want. It Chicken, is. Pork, it's, it's vegan everything. But what I have to say about that is, is um, in the beginning, I tried to stay away from, because it's still processed. It, it's mm-hmm. still processed food in a bag that's frozen or what have you, even if it is vegan, you still have to be careful. I still try to make myself be careful about not eating so much processed food and let my focus be on what I can prepare and cook that's fresh from, um, you know, the produce section. That's Mm -hmm. my focus. And I think that's where I really get the best quality of energy. It gives me more like vitality when I eat that way. When I start making like, you know, the frozen chicken, unchicken, or when I start making um, frozen (laughs) vegan beef and stuff, it's good and it's convenient and it's a good way to get the girls to eat it, but it's still processed. So, you know, you just have to have a good balance of trying to figure out what's going to work best. And we still 
sometimes buy them regular food. Can we have regular right. food? What are we doing right. Thanksgiving? Can we have regular food for Thanksgiving? Are you gonna make it vegan style? Because I, well, I, I make a I make a mean broccoli casserole, but they do not want that vegan cheese. <laughs> they do not want that vegan cheese up in the broccoli. They can, can we make it for real the regular way? So it's a balancing act. <laughs> yeah, you have to find the right. I found because my son is allergic to dairy, um, mm. so. And both of them are allergic to nuts. So oh, wow. I have found a really good vegan cheat, vegan macaroni and cheese mm. that it was good. I, when I cooked it up, he's like, oh, because he's never had real macaroni and cheese. He had no comparison. Oh, but it was, wow. It was very good. But it took, like you said, you just have to try different brands and try different blends and figure out what tastes good to your family and to you mm-hmm. and then you just figure it out but he 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 was like oh this is good he said but i, I guess i wasn't missing anything with mac and cheese i don't have to have it anymore me and mama were like <laughs> 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 but, but it is it's a lot of options out there now and it's just a matter of reading the label still to watch the sodium the soy and mm-hmm. all the additives but but once you find something good it's good Yes, 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 yes. That's the thing. And then teaching the kiddos, I, I let them decide, you know, what do you want to eat or whatever? Because I'm not vegan. I think I'm more leaning toward more vegetarian probably because, mm-hmm. and I'll still eat meat every now and then, but I'm getting there because I gave up mm-hmm. meat for 60 days. And it bravo, wasn't hard. Bravo. Not hard at all. It really wasn't. And I was like, I thought it was going to be, but once you stop eating it, you really, about 20 days in, you don't miss it. Mm-hmm. So. And you get, you get, um, to me, if I, when I have tried, mm-hmm. for instance, you know, I, I'm, I'm not like the good little, um, vegan on the corner. That's not me. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I backslide, would you call it? Uh-huh. But, or, or, or even give in to, uh, like pressure, family pressure. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's different like coming from the country, coming from a big family that loves to eat. Whenever we get together, that's all we're doing is eating. We just eat, 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 eat. You know, mm-hmm. my family comes to visit, my sister, my mom. If I go visit them, we're always eating. So mm-hmm. for them to now have this vegan version of me to show up, um, it's different. Oh, you don't eat that no more. Oh, I forgot. <laughs> oh, you, you don't want none of this chicken. Ooh, this chicken good. Ooh, it's so good. Well, it's going to have to be good to you. Because I don't want any, you know, <laughs> but there have been times, for instance, you know, Christmas or Thanksgiving and we're, we're gathering. And um, just recently I was home to my sister's house for something we had. I forget what holiday it was around, but um, of course, we're still, you know, social distancing and all that stuff. But when you got to eat, you have to take your mask off and eat. Yes. So I tried some of this pork mm. because pork used to be so my good. thing pork yeah. ribs, pork chops you know even after mm-hmm. seeing the videos even after I know what these poor little piggies go through oh mm-hmm. it's I even saw you one video of them like go running it. no they like run away and then if they don't die from whatever the shocking they they put them in this machine and they hold their heads and they shock them and if they don't die from that they literally they shoot them 
and the, they're afraid. Like you can see the fear, like they're running because they just saw the other dude, the other pig up there. You saw what happened to him. So they're, they're smart. Pigs are smart. Animals are smart. Cows are smart. They have an intelligence level. And so anyway, so I messed up. I had, I took a, a little bite of this pork. Do you know that stuff was so nasty? And it made me feel so sick. And I was like, oh, I can't eat this. Oh, I can't, I can't, I can't. I was like, somebody else will have to eat this. We had paid money for it and everything. I said, I cannot eat this. Because mm-hmm. it, it, it wasn't even the thought of the documentary that I saw. It just tasted horrible. It tasted mm-hmm. like flesh. It tasted, it, it, I knew I wasn't supposed to be eating it. So mm-hmm. that's, I, whether it's part conviction, whether it's part guilt, whatever it is, right. it no longer tasted right to me. And there have been other times when I'm in a hurry and I'm I like, I'm in a rush. I haven't eaten. And I'm like, let me just grab something real quick. And it's happened to me more often than, than not. I will get it. I'll bite into it. And I'll be like, I can't even eat this. I can't even Your eat body, this. And the girls are like, they don't even accept it anymore. And mm-hmm. the girls are like, mom, you knew you weren't going to be able to eat it. I don't even know why you ordered it. And Chloe's like, give it to me. I'll <laughs> what side did you bite off of? You're right. I'll break it off. <laughs> Let me help you out with that, Mom. <laughs> you know, so it's 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 become a part of you know who I am. And even though you know someone can be cooking some bacon and oh my goodness, it can smell so good. But when I think about the cost that that little bacon had to go through. Whoever it belonged to is gone now, done chopped up into many different pieces and sold all over this place. I can't do it. Right. I right. can't do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I totally understand. And that's, you know, that that makes sense. It just makes sense when your body, when you cleanse your body and your body gets into a state of, of what it expects as fuel, then it's easy to just say okay let me just go keep on doing what I'm doing because this obviously mm-hmm. is not good for me and even if it tastes good to you for those of y'all listening and watching <laughs> even <laughs> things that taste good to you we know they're not good for us mm-hmm. you know if you can't quit cold turkey just you know you can just start moderation just a little less a little mm-hmm. less a little less until you're not even wanting it anymore because there are a lot of things that people don't realize too is well they do realize it I think now because we talk about it so much what you eat makes you crave those things so if you're mm-hmm. eating a lot of sugars and a lot of grease and a lot of fat and a lot of salt your body starts to crave it but as soon as you cut it out mm-hmm. and you get past those two or three weeks your body stops saying hey go get you um some chips <laughs> it stops telling your brain that you need it because it's no, the cravings aren't there anymore. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but in, anyway, and that that is <laughs> that that's that uh, on that. So y'all y'all go watch these documentaries now. Get ready to just stop eating meat <laughs> when you do. <laughs> but, but I was gonna say, just like you uh, suggested, being pescatarian is 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 actually a very good option. Um, that's how we started as a family. Before it was just straight up vegan, it was pescatarian. And we really enjoyed like salmon and whiting and cod and red snapper and um, mm-hmm. things that, and even tuna um, to give us a good way to make that transition from just going cold turkey, having no meat. Mm-hmm. Fish was 
a good and still is. I you know, I still prepare fish for for the girls and for Silo. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a good transition or even not not transition. It could just be your mainstay. That could just, you know, mm-hmm. think about yeah. it. Think about That's it. <laughs> Because I, I love myself some fish, but I found out, I discovered about myself that I can give it up. It was hard. Mm. Those 60 mm-hmm. days, I didn't eat any seafood or any type of fish either. And I was like, I didn't pass Yay. it. I thought I was going to die, but I did. <laughs> I Good it. for I'm you. Still <laughs> I'm still here. Yeah. Y'all know what it is. Introducing Beauty Ha. But I'm not the beast. I'm the billionaire. Come on, beauty. Do your thing. Lego. Let the beat drop. Let me see you walk that walk. Standing there doing all that talk. Blah, 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 blah. What you really think you gon' do? Think I'm gon' jump if you say boo. Sneaking around, copping all my moves. You got another thing coming to you. This is my groove. 